Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we have our usual assortment of great questions today to cover. Each week, I scan through questions that have been submitted, and you can shoot a question in. If you're a new listener, thanks for being part of this growing community, where each week we unravel some of the uh, most challenging questions we have out there. You know, success principles are very transferable. So it's not like if you are selling carpet that there are unique things that happen just because you happen to be selling carpet. The things that make you successful doing that are going to also make you successful if you're selling cars, jewelry, furniture, or car, or, uh, you know, land of some kind, real estate. That's the way it is with success principles. So even as we go through questions that may not apply exactly to your situation, you ought to be able to extract something from that that does apply. One of the things that I have out there on the uh, internet is Dan's 48 low cost business ideas. It's a free download. Well, actually I say that I think we've now changed it to an actual product on our on 48days.com, but it's still free to, to members of the 48days.net community. But anyway, in that, I go through 48 very simple ideas. I ran into a guy recently at Best Buy, and he works for another large company here, and he says, Dan, I get all your stuff, blah, blah, blah. You know, not thrilled about my job, but I used to got a job. And he said, I just downloaded your 48 low-cost business ideas. He says, of course, nothing in there related to me because I'm an IT guy. I'm a technology guy and I wanted to jump out of my skin. I know I didn't do that. I didn't want to embarrass the guy or put him on the spot, but I thought you got to be kidding me. This guy has blinders on. If he's a technology guy, why can't he take 46 of those 48 ideas and tweak them because of what he knows his particular area of expertise and make them better, make it a unique application that somebody without it background would not be able to do. But no, he rejected every single thing in there because he's an it guy and he didn't see an idea that just screamed technology on the front end. Part of the process as we go through these questions that we'll be going through here today is to say, aha, now that guy wants to sell social media to churches, as an example. How does the challenges that he is confronted with relate to what I'm doing in selling a service that I want to promote? And you got to be able to extrapolate morsels of truth from things that aren't just 100% identical to your situation. Now, I hope that seems obvious. I mean, it's certainly obvious to me, but yet I run into people time and time again who have closed themselves off from an opportunity that's three inches from their nose because it's not a hundred percent fit. Well, I know you're not like that. Obviously, if you're a listener here, you are sorting through things, making your own applications and creating work that you love. Here's some of the things we'll be covering today. Dan, I just lost a job I've hated for three and a half or four and a half years, but I didn't want to quit until I had another job. What should I do? Help. Here's an interesting one. I'm sick of hearing and seeing the rich get richer and the poor get poor. All right. Someone says, Dan, I want to get into funeral photography, but I have no clue where I should start or what to do to get this idea off the ground. 
how do I apply the job search process laid out in 48 days to the work you love to an internal job search? Works for a big company, knows there are opportunities inside that company. Can you still do a job search there? Um, is it realistic to envision making more money than my current job of $25,000 a year just by buying tools cheap at auctions and garage sales and reselling them on eBay? Yes, 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 absolutely. Well, we'll, we'll hopefully we'll get to that and more. Well, here's a quotation for us today. It comes from Stanley Goldstein, who says, he who has learning without imagination has feet, but no wings. That kind of applies to what I was just talking about. He who has learning without imagination has feet but no wings. Think about what we usually associate with learning or education. Okay, you were able to regurgitate what was in this textbook, spit it back. The professor was impressed enough to give you an A in that course. But, you know, I keep hearing from people who feel trapped in work that they don't enjoy because of having a degree in that area. Now think about it. I mean, if you have a degree in political science, what does that prepare you for? Now, typically that prepares you to enter law school and little more than that, or does it? I mean, my degree is in clinical psychology. So, I mean, my master's degree is in clinical psychology. So that would seem to position me as a counselor sitting in some stuffy little office somewhere you know, seeing people who complain about their lives all day long. Now, obviously, I've generalized, but that doesn't sound like an appealing proposition to me. Do I feel trapped because of that? Not a chance. And if I want to sell used cars or build cabinets, I can do it better because of my degree in clinical psychology. Perhaps there are things in there that are certainly going to apply. I mean, when I started selling used cars after I got out of graduate school. I mean, that was kind of a rough transition for my wife and even for my parents looking in from their vantage point. Geez, you just got out of graduate school in clinical psychology and you're selling used cars. I mean, couldn't you have maybe done that with a sixth grade education rather than a master's degree? Well, does that imply though that I'm selling cars that I'm not using my degree? Well, let me ask you, I mean, one of the guys who walked onto the lot that first year, and you may have heard me tell this story before, walked onto the lot in that first year where I was selling cars. Walking onto the lot is a real red flag to any used car salesman. Doesn't have a trade-in, doesn't have a car now, not a qualified buyer, don't waste your time. Well, I talked to the guy, didn't prejudge, which is another thing that used car dealers do routinely. I didn't prejudge. Ended up selling that young guy a car. When we negotiated the price, he pulled up his T-shirt and started pulling out stacks of $20 bills. Paid for the car in cash. Because I treated him courteously, listened to his needs, understood a little bit about his situation. In the course of the next year, I sold 14 cars to that same extended family. When you include mom, dad, cousins, aunts, uncles, and so on. 14 cars. Did my background in clinical psychology perhaps give me some tools for listening effectively, understanding, understanding before I speak, before I go right to the selling process, develop rapport and trust first? Well, sure it did. So there's a lot of application, but I love this quotation. He who has learning without imagination has feet, but no wings. A lot of people out there today have feet, 
because of fancy degrees, but no wings because they have no imagination. Don't make yourself one of that category. Hey, before I go on, I want to remind you of something coming up. This is a podcasting online coaching course, podcasting A to Z with my friend Cliff Ravenscraft. Now, you've heard me talk about Cliff. Cliff is the one whose brains I use to make my podcast better and better. Cliff was just here this last week again, came down and set up, set me up with two more pieces of equipment and one limits the amount of background noise that is heard. One allows me to to intercept my phone line so I can have a phone caller where I'm taking it right through the sound mixer and into my Edderall recorder so it makes a high quality recording rather than something that you would hear just on the telephone. Anyway, he's he I use him for everything podcast related. Well, Cliff is getting ready to have one of his next popular, always sold out coaching courses. If you're interested in podcasting, I highly recommend it. Now, here's the website that I want you to go to. This came from from Cliff, who says, send them to HTTP, semicolon, forward slash, forward slash. Anyway, the site is podcasting, A to Z, A-T-O-Z.com, podcasting, A to Z.com. I'm, I'm just recommending it. I mean, do that. I mean, that I went to him when, as soon as I found out about him and paid for coaching, paid for equipment, paid to get the best input advice I could possibly get. And I would encourage you to do the same. And I can go through a whole list of names, people like David and Paula Foster, um, Connie and Sheila, who do a real estate show. I mean, there's tons of people who now have gone through Cliff's coaching and have very successful podcasting shows up and running. Instead of wasting time taking two years to figure out the ins and outs, I highly recommend it. Again, podcasting, A to Z dot com. My buddy Cliff Ravenscraft. The next class starts July 11th. So don't dilly dally around. Get in that to see if there you can still get in that group. It's a five week process where you go through learning how to do a podcast. You know, I, and of course, I love podcasting, as you well know. I mean, it's one of the highlights of my week to jump in here and do a podcast. It's one of the ways that I have built a very loyal, responsive audience, which I appreciate and value greatly. Uh, you can do the same. And if you want to do it well, you know, let Cliff coach you through the process. Well, Ray says, Dan, I've just lost a job. I hated it for three and a half or four and a half years, but didn't want to quit until I had another job. I'm 52 years old. And most of my life, I've done dangerous work that I've loved, like commercial diving, submarine work, and so on. Hmm, my problem is I don't seem to be passionate about anything anymore. What should I do help? Okay, Ray, you just lost a job. You hated it for three and a half or four and a half years. First thing I would do is get down and kiss the ground you're walking on. Uh, get on your knees, pray to God, thanking him for allowing this to happen in your life, that you lost this job. I mean, I feel that strongly about three and a half years, three and a half or four and a half years. And I assume it's the last three and a half that you hated your job. My goodness. Thank your lucky stars. You got fired. Okay, now that we got that out of the way, what do you do to find your passion? Well, sure. I mean, sometimes work that you hate is a compromise in our lives. There's no question about that. I mean, that clouds our ability to think creatively, to see opportunities. 
So you needed to get that out of your way. Get that out of your way. It's like a purging, a cleansing of your system, your psyche, your emotional, spiritual well-being to get that job out of the way. Now you really can think clearer. It ought to be like a cool breeze blowing through your life, that cleaning process that just happened. So welcome that. And then look at what you know about yourself. What are your strongest skills and abilities, things that you not only have the ability to do, but you really enjoy doing. Take a fresh look at those. Take a fresh look at your personality traits. How do you relate to other people? What kind of environment you most comfortable in? How do you manage, persuade, sell? And then what are your values, dreams, and passions? What are those recurring things that seem to put you in the zone? When we talk about athletes being in a zone, you ought to recognize when you're in a zone, what it just seems like everything comes together. Remember the old A-team on TV and we used to watch when my boys were literally a team, Mr. T in there. And the leader, I forget his name would say, you know, I love it when a plan comes together. Just that sense that man, I'm right where I need to be. You ought to be able to recognize those things. When is it that when a plan comes together and you recognize it and from those things, you ought to see some clear patterns emerge that tell you what you're passionate about. I mean, you say you're, you don't seem to be passionate about anything anymore. Again, you become numb. It's like the frog in the kettle. You know, the, the story goes that you put a frog in hot water, he'll jump out. But you put a frog in lukewarm water and turn the heat up gradually, he'll sit there and cook to death because a change takes place gradually. A lot of times I encounter people who are like that frog where they're just about to take their last breath. They haven't moved because the changes have been slow and subtle, but you're out of the hot water at this point. So you ought to be able to take a deep breath, fresh, clean, pure air, and start to recognize again, what are those things that you are passionate about? Then build, create a model around that where that's the center of your work. Well, Thomas says, I'm sick and tired of hearing and seeing the rich get richer and the poor get poor. Unfortunately, I can't find a career that will get me out of this trend. How can I change this in my life? Well, Thomas, you didn't tell me enough about where, where, where you are in this continuum. Are you part of the rich or are you part of the poor? You say you can't find a career that will get you out of this trend. If it's just an observation, it's not really a big deal. But I assume that you would like to move yourself. Well, I'm not sure. You know, your, your question poses an interesting kind of position here. To start with, you know, the rich are getting richer and the poor are getting poor. I don't know that we can really verify that. But believe me, we're always going to have both. So the first thing is you need to decide where you'd like to be. Do you want to be rich or do you want to be poor? I think we really do. Make a choice. Uh, and it's not like one is good or bad. You know, I mean, they really aren't. I mean, they just are. I mean, you can decide which you want to be and then create a plan of action to make that a reality. Now, in the Sunday Tennessee in this last week here, there was an article about a young couple who have gone together with, I think, three other families. They bought a, um, um, golly, what do you call, not just abandoned apartment complex, but it was, um, oh, I can't think of the word. Anyway, it was condemned. There you go. It was condemned. Apartment complex, they bought it, they're going to fix it up, they're going to make it green in terms of having vegetable gardens on the roof and grapevines growing up the side, and then they're going to invite other people who are struggling, perhaps some homeless, to 
take up residence there and work out some kind of a little rental agreement. I mean, they're going to choose to live very simply and certainly very poor. I commend them on that. I think that's a cool thing to do. Uh, there's a lot of discussions going on today about this issue. There's a there's a very popular uh, religious and Christian trend push for all of us being poor. You know, if you have anything, you should find somebody poor and give it to them. Now, yeah, I think we should be generous and concerned about people who are struggling, but generosity, justice, concern, and compassion are, you know, those are characteristics of the heart, not of our bank account. You know, having a big bank account doesn't make you less generous or concerned and compassionate. I mean, having a a poor bank account, I mean, frankly, some of the most greedy, self-centered, selfish people I know are those who have nothing. It seems to make them greedier and more eager to get what somebody else has, where I see people who are wealthy, who have hold that wealth with an open hand. They share generously. So again, I I don't think this is a matter of, uh, we don't want any rich people. No, I I think you can decide where you want to be, but then create a realistic plan as to how you're going to get there. Hey, reminds me of one of my, one of my favorite old, old songs here. You'll recognize this. If I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a house. I would buy you a house. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, buy you furniture for your house, maybe a nice Chesterfield or an Ottoman. And if I had a million dollars, if I had a million dollars, well, I'd buy you a K-car, a nice reliant automobile. And if I had a million dollars, I'd buy your Well, I think it's fun to speculate. What would you do if you had a million dollars? I mean, what, what could you do to help the poor? I mean, one of the things about helping the poor is you can do a whole lot more if you have a few resources at your disposal. It's pretty tough to help the poor if you're simply one of them. Now, I know this goes into all kinds of new areas, but Thomas, I expect from your question here that you're sick and tired of, um, I I think the way you frame your question, though, I'm sick and tired of hearing and seeing the rich get richer and the poor get poor. I mean, are you resentful about one end of the continuum there? I mean, do you resent a rich man because he has wealth? I mean, this morning, Dave Ramsey was telling about one of his friends who last year gave $320 million to charities. Now, that didn't put him in the poorhouse. Matter of fact, the issue was somebody criticized him because he bought a $110,000 car. Now, you know, that's pretty preposterous. If he has that much to give, uh, then buying that kind of a car isn't a real stretch. And having that kind of a car isn't snubbing his nose at somebody who's poor. It ought to be an inspiration. And I've, I've in, in hanging around rich people and seeking them out, have found them to be an inspiration to me. The poor don't inspire me much. Again, I hope that doesn't sound hard-hearted. I mean, Joanna, I've had a lot of opportunities to help people in the last few years and have um, done some things we would have never dreamed of being able to do when we were young and poor ourselves. And uh, I would much rather be in this position than in the former. 
But I think the first thing is to decide. If you can see yourself accumulating wealth, then create a plan to make that happen. If you think the world is unfair and you're always going to be poor, you're probably always going to be poor. So just to then make a realistic plan to enjoy your life in spite of that. Johnny says, I'm in a management position now and want to start my own business. I've read 48 days to the work you love and no more Mondays. I just can't seem to make that jump into the home repair business full time. I've been doing it part time for 18 years and have all the tools and clients now. Please help me. Well, Johnny, obviously you're not an impulsive guy. You don't make decisions rashly or quickly. So make this a process. Decide what would make your own business attractive enough to leave your current job. So if that's making $6,000 a month for six months or $2,500 a month for three months, I mean, it doesn't matter, but make clear what success would look like for you and then work toward that. And then when it happens, give notice and jump fully into your own business. Just create a transition that'll give you the confidence that you're not being impulsive or reactionary that you really are moving into something that makes sense. A lot of times in working with people who are conservative, they're analytical, they're logical, they're planners in making this kind of a transition. We sent, set some benchmarks and it may be that when I have for three months generated as much income in my new business as I am currently in my job, then I'll make that transition. That should be a pretty soft transition. You obviously have doubled your income at that point. And in leaving your current job, you're not going to go down to zero. You're simply going to go back to where you are used to being in your regular job. Had a young couple recently that I was working with. And when I proposed that kind of a scenario where when you are creating as much income in your new job or your new business as you are in your current jobs, you can quit. They looked at each other, got all excited and said, how about if we do that when we're at 50%? I said, Hey, that's cool. You know, they happened to have a pretty good nest egg of savings put aside. Uh, they were high income earners. Uh, she was an attorney. He was an engineer. So they were used to an extraordinary income and they really didn't need all of that to cover their living expenses. So they decided when they hit 50%, they'd make the switch. I'm man. I, I think that's a great idea and encourage them in that. Dana says, I've written several children's books, but have zero talent for drawing how do I find an illustrator for my stories and how should we negotiate payment? Thank you for inspiring and uplifting us all. Well, thanks Dana. Thanks for your question from Louisiana. Here's what I recommend. Go to 48days.net and put illustrator in the search field. You're going to get a ton of information from real people who have done exactly what you're talking about. Part of those discussions have been led by my wife, Joanne, who went through exactly what you're describing. She had a couple children's books. She wanted an illustrator. She shares readily with how she went through that process, ended up with Rose Goss out of Pennsylvania, who has illustrated two of her children's books. They're working on a third, but um, that that's what I would recommend. Go to 48days.net, put illustrator in the field. It'll tell you a whole lot more than um, me having to go through the entire process here. Kyle says, Dan, I'm writing to say thank you for your encouragement. I'm currently a quality control chemist in a large company. While the pay is decent, the work is extremely boring. I spend, listen to this, boy, this is a classic description of, of work that may not be real fulfilling. 
Kyle says, while the pay is decent, the work is extremely boring. I spend most of my day working in a laboratory environment. A test that I routinely run requires me to spend large chunks of my time literally watching water boil. I have to watch it because if a beaker goes dry, the test is ruined. Needless to say, it's like watching paint dry. (laughs) I have a degree in chemistry and was hoping to enter the health field. However, I later decided against it because hospitals make me feel depressed. After listening to your podcast, reading your book, I was able to narrow down to a possible career path. I found that I have a passion for carpentry, and over the past few years, I've flipped houses on the side. This led me to start a blog called The Frugal homeowner.blogspot.com and he attached a ebook that he's done called the frugal home flipper has a couple questions how should i charge for an ebook like this what platform would you recommend for selling an ebook clickbank ejunkie other any other suggestions i appreciate your feedback in my blog and ebook now kyle what i suggest for one thing, I did go check. I see that you are a member of 48days.net, but you haven't been very active there. There's a whole lot of people involved there who are active in flipping houses. Uh, Connie and Sheila are doing some things. You can find them easily. Kyle, uh, Mike Galvin out of Chicago has a group for people who are flipping houses. A lot of interaction going on there, people sharing ideas. But what I would do, I would get this your ebook out to those people and get feedback from all of them. Now, this may seem counterintuitive where you think, well, you put a lot of time and effort into your ebook and it's nicely done. Incidentally, nice graphics, nice copy layout and all of that in there. But what you want is to get that into the hands of a whole lot of people. Now, again, this may seem counterintuitive because you think, well, I spent a lot of time on that. I want to get some money from that. Well, would you rather get, you know, $17 from 50 people Or would you really rather get that in the hands and have 50,000 people read it? Well, my philosophy is I'd rather have 50,000 people read that because I can fill that ebook with links to other ways to get involved in things that I'm doing. If you have this ebook as that is the only thing you're going to do this year that has a potential to generate income, yes, then you need to hang on to that and hope you get a few people that'll pay you for it. But if you use this in order to position yourself as an expert in the in the area of flipping houses, then you really want to just get it out there. Now, here's why. Let me just kind of walk you through this in terms of why this may seem counterintuitive, but I think it's a great plan. I mentioned a little bit earlier that I had the free PDF download of 48, 48 low-cost business ideas. We put that up just as a post-it note link on 48days.net and in the first about the first 30 days over 90,000 people downloaded that now what does that tell me that tells me wow this is really a hot topic people are getting this they're sharing it they're sending other friends to it and a whole bunch of things have happened obviously did I think oh I've got 90,000 people where if I would have only charged $10 a piece that's that's almost a million dollars I missed that money no not at all now we've gone back and we've polished that and made it a real product that you can purchase either electronically or as a physical product that we'll send to you. There's a whole lot of those people who are already talking about it, who are going to continue telling their friends about it. And those people are going to purchase that product. I mean, that p- product will be extremely profitable for me because I know that I've been through this a whole lot of other times. Here's another thing that'll happen. A whole lot of the people who got that product, are going to think, wow, 
Dan Miller's, uh, you know, he's a pretty cool guy. He's an okay guy. The trust level has gone up exponentially. So when we promote that we've got a cruise coming up or we got a live event that's a thousand bucks here at the sanctuary, those people are going to say, Ooh, I want to do that. A whole lot of those people are going to raise their hands and do other things that create profits for us, even if they got that little book for free. Now, that may seem like a little bigger bite than you wanted to chew off, but you have to think in that way because an ebook by itself, as your first and foremost product, when people go to your site and they see buy this book, it's not going to do a whole lot. I would encourage you to use that as a feeder to get people comfortable with you and to see you as an expert. Even if you do it like what I'm doing with my low cost business ideas, it's still free to the 48days.net community, but we do charge for it for anybody who just comes into the 48days.com site where you may have it as a charged, as a paid for product on your site, but you provide it free to a community that'll help spread the word about you, what a great guy you are and how knowledgeable you are in a particular area. Here's an interesting question from Kenny. Can, can ye? Okay. I have an idea I'd like to pick your brain about. I want to get into funeral photography, but I have no clue where I should start or what to do to get this idea off the ground. I have photographed a funeral and I think it could be my niche. Please help. All right, Kenny, now you're, you're going to have to help me understand how this would work. Are you talking about actually taking photos at the funeral? Somehow I I have a hard time getting my head around that. I've been to a lot of funerals, uh, but I would see it as extremely intrusive to have a photographer walking around taking photos of people in moments of despair. Um, I I have a hard time seeing how that works. Now, it is popular at funeral visitations to have a rotating video with photos of that person's life and family and interactions and business and all that. I mean, that's cool. I can see that, that happening. I've been to three weddings recently, you know, in the last 30 days we've been to three weddings and one of them in particular, the photographer was extremely intrusive. I mean, right in front of people and right down in front at intimate moments And you know, these are memorable occasions for sure, but I don't think photographs ever capture the real actual moment anyway. I think some occasions in our lives are meant to just be experienced for the moment. Now, when you say this could be a niche for you, it could be a niche in the sense that not a whole lot of other people are doing it. But sometimes when they identify a niche like that, there's a whole lot of good reasons why nobody else is doing it. And I really think this is one of those. I mean, you could be a photographer for divorce proceedings, but I don't think that's a very great focus just because it's a niche. I don't think it's a really good focus. So I have a hard time getting my hands around how you could be a funeral photographer. I think it'd be a very difficult concept to sell. And unless there's something I'm missing here, boy, it's an idea I'm not going to encourage you on. Adam says, Dan, I like the company I work for and it's so large there are opportunities within the company. However, I do not like my current role. How do I apply the job search process laid out in 48 days to an internal job search? Should I be upfront about it with my manager? Adam, absolutely be upfront about it with your manager. I mean, looking for another opportunity within your existing company is a great place to start. They know about you. A whole lot of steps in the interviewing process were already completed. 
So you can shorten the process dramatically by simply showing why you're a candidate for another position. So in terms of the job search that I lay out in 48 days, absolutely, you have shortened the process dramatically. You don't have to identify 30 to 40 target companies. You know the company. There may be multiple positions within the company where you are already known, loved, and appreciated, have um, reviews in place. I mean, those are great advantages for you. So you still target the department that you want to be in perhaps a particular position, but more likely just a department that you want to be in. You can approach that department head and make a case for why you bring value to that particular department. What you've done that establishes you as a player, somebody who's reliable and has a clear area of expertise. Yeah, do that. And you can do that with the support of your manager. I mean, a good manager is not going to hold you back from that if they think there are other opportunities for you to advance, move up, find something that's a better fit. I mean, that's a very common happening in any good company where somebody is involved and they realize, I mean, when I was doing uh, consulting and workshops for General Motors, the, the goal was not to tell everybody, you need to quit your job and go somewhere else. I mean, obviously companies would not bring me in if they thought that was going to be the outcome of the 48 days to the work you love principles. But for many, many people, it's to help them for perhaps the first time recognize where they fit well and realize there may be a mismatch in their current position. Companies welcome the idea of a valued employee. Finding a better match gives them an opportunity to continue with the company. And some of the people that I see who have had the most illustrious career paths have been in one company, but they've had eight or 10 different positions in that company over the life of their tenure there. Mary says, if I send a survey of select group to of a select group of emergency workers to use as the basis for an article report to sell, would there be any type of permission needed from the participants before publishing? Or would I just need to let them know in advance that I plan to use the survey results for an article? Thanks. You could let them know you're going to be reporting the trends shown in a survey, but there's really no need to get permission, specific permission from them as you, I assume you won't be naming names. I mean, think about all the reports that are out there that say, according to a recent survey, well, those people in the survey weren't told that they were going to be somehow used for the information that is in a report that is now for sale. Nah, very common. You don't need, I mean, think about the the things that we see on TV, you know, four out of five dentists surveyed say, well, those dentists weren't told or named. It's just showing trends that you can do the same without specific permission. Matthew from Winter Park, Florida says, I'm an interior designer and want to start a blog to build an audience to someday earn some additional income. My blog will discuss interior design and ways people create improvements in their own interior design at home. I was also thinking about offering a service of creating digital images for other interior designers. Any suggestions? Yep. Get started. You know, there's a a new book by Stephen Pressfield. Well, there are actually two books that I'll mention. Both came kind of out of Seth Godin's center of influence with his new kind of company called the Domino. Uh, the Domino, what is it? Domino Company? A Domino something, Domino Effect. Anyway, it's a new publishing company. His most recent book out of there is Poke the Box. It's one of Seth's very traditional, typical little books, Poke the Box. It's about 70 pages, lots of white space. Bottom line, initiate. That's what it is. Initiate, do something. That's the essence of his book, Poke the Box. 
The next book, the more recent one that just came out of there, the author is Stephen Pressfield. Stephen wrote a book a few years. He's written lots of books, but one that I value a lot, Joanna as well, is called The War of Art. Now, I didn't transpose words there. Yes, there's an old business book called The Art of War, but he, this is a great book title because it is transposing words in a well-known title. The Art, The War of Art, The War of Art. Stephen's new book is called Do the Work. Do the Work. His little book is very much like Seth Godin's Poke the Box. It's very simple. And it, the title tells you everything that he tells you in the book. Do the work. Just get out here and do something. So in your sense, wanting to start a blog, wanting to create digital images for interior designers, yeah, just do it. Just jump in there and do it. But become knowledgeable about how to do that really well. Study what other bloggers are doing. If you go to, there's a group on 48days.net called Blogging Your Passion. And there are some really great intro videos and stories about people who have gone into blogging full time and are creating their income in doing that. Check those out. Uh, that's what I would encourage you to do. And just jump in the game, absolutely. Uh, that, that's the way we all learn. I, I'm doing some real digging right now on guest blogging. I've had lots of requests on both sides, requests for my blogs and other blogs, and also requests from others who would like to have a slot once in a while in my daily blog. I've really done done very little of both of those, but I'm researching that. And all of a sudden I've gotten excited about it. And my team has been encouraging me to do that as a way to expand our audience. And so I'm going to be doing that. So I have not yet started that at all, but I pulled off a ton of information, printed it off, which with the way that I like to read, put it in a folder and I'm reading through all that information. So I can jump into the game with some knowledge of, from players who are already out there and encourage you to do the same. Adam says, Dan, I love your podcast. I just started a social media management business for churches and other organizations at adambowersmedia.com. I don't have any clients yet. What do you think of my site? How can I promote my service to churches? Thanks. I went to your site, Adam. Looks great. Right off the bat, you'd address the issue. It can be difficult to convince the powers that be that your church should include social media as part of its overall communication strategy. This might be especially true if you're interested in outsourcing your social media management for the more effective management. Money might be tight at your church, but there are specific and easy ways to make room in your budget for social media management. Here are some of the best ways to do that. And you go on from there. All right. You've addressed two issues here that make this challenging. You want to do social media management consulting. You're not in the church. Yeah, that's a big issue. So you're an outside person. Churches are very reluctant to have outside experts come in and do anything. They think God gives them every single talent, I guess, you know, under their own roof. That's typical of the thinking. So that's a challenge. The other thing is if they aren't using social media now, you have to educate them on why that is necessary, why it's a good move. Churches are slow to act for the most part, and a lot of them don't use social media yet. Now, let me kind of step out of that framework for just a second. Let's say that you're selling bottles of the latest nutritional drink. Boy, we know this stuff gives you energy. It's healthy. It rebuilds your cells. I mean, all kinds of wonderful things. We, we You know, it, it, it's really popular right now. All these things. You're selling nutritional drinks. 
Would you rather sell those at a baseball game or at a 5K race? Now, we know the people at the baseball game need those healthy drinks. You know, instead of the beer and hot dogs and popcorn and Cokes they're shoving down their face. But selling where you have to educate on the need first is tough selling. For you to go to a baseball game and say, you guys shouldn't drink that crap you're drinking. You need to buy my nutritional drink is really a tough sell. My point is, I think selling to churches is extremely difficult. I mean, we have people with the 48 day seminars, you know, it's the first place they want to go, you know, to churches in their area. And so I think, man, oh man, why do you guys want to work so hard? Why don't you go down here to the chamber of commerce where they're used to personal building ideas, ideas that are going to grow your business and you personally, why don't you, uh, you know, go through the rotary club you know, why don't you go down here and knock on the door of 10 small companies where they want their people to really be actualized and personally developed and all that. To me, that's a whole lot easier than selling into churches. I, I'm, I, I personally, I don't, I mean, I've been involved in church work. I've done consulting there and have had a whole lot of things happen in, you know, church life. But when it just comes to creating a business model where they're my target audience, thinking, oh my gosh, I'd rather pull my hair out because that's how difficult it's going to be to sell. Yes, we know they need it. Yes, we know you have the expertise to help them do it well. But I always tell people, sell things that people want, not things people need. I mean, you can make a living selling washing machines and transmissions, but you're never going to get rich. But you can get rich selling chewing gum and yachts and leather coats and feathers for your hair. I mean, we could go on. It's just a whole lot easier to sell things that people want, not what they need. I know that sounds discouraging for your site, but I mean, how many, I I could not list the number of people that I know who have built companies where they wanted to sell web services or social media services to churches. It's a tough, tough market. Not one that would appeal to me in any way. Scott says, I'm planning on starting an eBay store focused on the sale of tools. Is it realistic to envision making more money than my current J-O-B of $25,000 a year just by buying tools cheap at auctions and garage sales and reselling them on eBay? Or do I need to expand my business model? Thanks for your time. Scott, I think it's a great idea. I mean, at garage sales and auctions, you can buy boxes of tools for pennies Cleaning those up, taking great photos and presenting them one at a time can increase the value 20 times over. Yeah, I think this is a real business. And this is a a business where there's no ceiling. I mean, 25,000 a year that you're making now, I mean, just do the multiples. What do you have to make a week on eBay in order, you know, 500 bucks a week? Can you make that on eBay? My gosh, you're going from something where you're working 40 hours a week. All right. Right off the bat, you're going to a model where you have something working for you 168 hours a week, not 40. So there's an exponential increase just in that. You also, instead of trying to please your manager or five other people in your company, whatever it happens to be, all of a sudden you have literally exposure to the entire world as prospective customers for you rather than the one 
customer you have now, that being the company that you work for. I mean, I just, I just like the model. I mean, this is not difficult to at least make work on paper. Now you have to make it work in reality, but tools are one of the things that are seen as having zero value at garage sales, estate sales, and you know, all those things that you see easily on a weekend, you can go out and just clean up. I mean, I've been, I like to go to auctions and usually tools are sold in boxes. Now, if you are dealing with electric motor tools, that's a little different, but with just usable tools, my goodness, I think there's a chance here to, you know, rock and roll. I, I'm watching on eBay right now for a couple of cars I want. And what I'm finding out is that cars that go through the auction process on eBay often end up selling for more than I can buy them right from individuals or even dealers right here in Nashville. So it, it's amazing that oftentimes things on eBay, if you take great photos of them, they bring more money through the auction process and what somebody would have to pay brand new. Yeah, I think it's a great model. I like it. Heather says, Dan, I have an idea for a new product for the camping industry. It's an inexpensive item that would not sell for more than $10. Should I try to get the product manufactured and sell it myself or try to sell the idea to someone already in the industry? Either way, how would I go about doing this? All right, Heather, you got an inexpensive item in the camping industry would sell for not more than $10. In general, I prefer getting it manufactured yourself and selling it yourself. I've always said that. If you've got an idea for Camping World, I mean, they've got access to millions of ideas. And the only way you're really going to have any leverage with that company is to manufacture it yourself. So when you get the orders for 10,000 of those, then you have a story to tell. You can go back and people will be interested. I still am inclined to that. However, I've had some people point out some other kind of success stories lately, and I want to mention to you a book that I just purchased, and it's really well done. It's by Stephen Key, and the title of the book is One Simple Idea. Stephen takes another approach. He says, don't go through the work of manufacturing it and selling it yourself. It puts you into totally different areas of a business you may not be a candidate for or do well. Just get the idea, go to a company, license the idea with them, and just get royalties from them selling the idea. Now, the thing that has made this, has made me more open to this in the last few, the last six months, is recognizing we're moving more toward open innovation. Now, just quickly, what this means is that companies used to be pretty closed to getting ideas outside their company. There are just too many legal loopholes. It's just a nightmare, and companies just weren't interested in doing that. However, with idea generation being such a valuable part of any business growth at this point, companies are realizing they probably don't have the talent just under their roof to get all the greatest ideas in the world they're more open to people bringing them ideas than they've ever been in history. Open innovation. Stephen Key in one simple idea lays that out in a way that I've not seen done that well before. So I would encourage you, yeah, go ahead and get that book. And then perhaps you can take your idea without going through the manufacturing process yourself. Now, again, I I don't have as many examples of working well that idea as I have of people who have developed the idea and gotten it down the road enough to get a little leverage. Then you have more strength. But 
Stephen Key lays out how you can maybe try it in that way as well. Now, th- this comes from partially from my experience as an author. If you have a really great idea for a book, um, whoop-de-doo. I mean, publishers aren't going to talk to you anyway. But if you have a great idea for a book and you put together an e-book or a real physical book, you printed it and you sold 10,000 copies, guess what? Publishers want to talk to you then. I mean, that's exactly the path that both Dave Ramsey and I went down. We published our materials ourselves first. And when we sold 10, 20,000 copies of that, then publishers came knocking and it was easy to negotiate our first real major publishing deals. I still think that's an easier way to go, but uh, explore the options for that to give you both sides of the equation. Well, hey, we're out of time. Hey, let me mention just one more time. You know, uh, if you are not yet involved in 48days.net, I certainly encourage you to do that. Uh, We're just about to hit our 10,000 members there. So there's a big group, a big brain trust that you can draw from over there. Uh, The other thing is I want to mention again, my buddy Cliff Ravencraft, his podcast camp coming up, his online coaching course. It's online, but you'll have real connection with him in the courses. Five weeks going through that. Go to podcastingatoz.com. And if you want to have a podcast, which... I think it's a cool thing to do if you're growing a business and an area of expertise. That's a great way to do it. So go there and learn how to do it well right out of the gate. I've always gotten coaches for things where I wanted to get better at something. I'm quick to pull the trigger on getting a coach so I don't have to go through a long learning process. There's enough challenges in doing it yourself as you go other than dragging out the time frame. Well, thanks for being part of our community here. Give me your ideas. Shoot those questions into podcast or the link at podcast or to ask dan at 48days.com thanks for being part of this group where we are finding or creating work that is meaningful purposeful fulfilling and profitable